Hello, this is Bobby Simpson here with another episode of Yup, It's In There. And today we are going to cover police brutality. And you say police brutality? Is that in there? And my response is what it always is. And that is, yup, it's in there. And so today I want to give a little groundwork and, you know, cover uh, this topic in a way that some of the other topics that I've covered has not been covered. And I want to cover it, uh, number one, to give perspective on how I arrived here, even looking into the idea of police brutality and if God had in fact taken a position on it. And so I want to uh, let you know, um, you know, what led me into this uh, space. I am a believer. I'm a believer in the uh, finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I believe of his in his death, burial and resurrection. And with that being said, I consider myself a person or a woman of faith. And um, I won't use the word Christian uh, because of how loosely it is used with so many other um, people and things that associate themselves with it. But I am, in fact, a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I will use the term believer. And I am a believer by um, the training and teaching that has been passed down to me from generations in my family. And um, what I did, I came to take faith very serious in my family. I took faith and prayer very seriously. And because I took it very seriously, what I did was I became a student of the word of God. And uh, what do I mean when I say student of the word of God? I took all of the necessary coursework, systematic theology, Old Testament and New Testament survey, how to study the Bible. But one thing <laughs> I know for sure, I know for sure that I am the person of Psalms 139 and 14. And Psalms 139 and 14 speaks to the fact that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And from the time that I learned that scripture, I had a desire to know exactly what that meant. And in a very general sense, that term just meant that I was uniquely made, that there was no one else made like me. And so with that in mind, I approached my biblical study in that same way. And so as I took systematic theology, I took how to study the Bible, I took Old and New Testament survey, but there was this unique thing about me, Bobby, that caused me to question even further. And so as I continue to see uh, the many black men and women uh, fall at the hands of police officers, who appear to be very bloodthirsty. And, um, you know, I happen to have sons. And so because of my faith, 
because of my relationship with God. What I understood was that I could go to God with my concerns and begin to speak to him concerning that. Well, there was something very pivotal uh, that happened in my life um, and in my walk uh, as a parent, as a mother, and as a believer that brought me to the space where I needed to question God in another way, in a way that I had not prayed before. And so I began to cry out to the Lord as I watched daily the spilling of innocent blood, the blood of poor black men and now women, the terrorism of our children and the uh, terrorism that they have to face on a daily basis with the police brutality that is very unconscionable. It was in uh, 2014. My son was a sophomore in college. I was working in Virginia at the time. My son called me in tears uh, saying, mom, mom, they killed him. I took a deep breath and asked him to tell me, to try and tell me uh, they killed who. He was able to calm down enough to get out Mike Brown. I was very rattled because of how upset he was that it was somebody that I should know and somebody that I had known intimately. And um, as I um, tried to appear unrattled and tried to maintain my calm, I, I got him to tell me. Um, and he said that it was Mike Brown. And I continued to question. And I said, well, who is Mike Brown? And how do we know him? And he uh, then began to articulate, Mom, we don't know him. They shot him and left him in the street like a dog. And I, I struggled uh, with that. But I began to search the Internet vociferously to find out exactly what was going on and what, in fact, had upset my son so bad. And it was in that that I was driven uh, in prayer to begin to call out to God concerning that. But I, what I understood is the way that I had prayed before had done little to bring me peace of mind and little to bring my son peace of mind, even in the face of that type of evil. And so, um, in that, um, again, I cried out to the Lord and, um, you know, that was all I had. And that was all I knew to do was to cry out to God. And so, you know, what I came to understand, there were more deaths that followed even Mike Brown's killing. And what I began to notice uh, was that my son's silence and his silence troubled me. Um, and for my son, when something went wrong, he always came to me to fix it. And so um, with his silence, what that indicated to me was that he had lost confidence in the idea that I could do anything about the murdering of innocent black men who were rarely given a chance to self-identify before being murdered. His silence indicated to me that he'd become painfully aware of this fact as well. Mike Brown isn't anyone my son or I knew 
until the headlines, but he has been pivotal in how we approach social justice since that time. And what is disheartening to me, uh, the church's silence is deafening. There seems to be an outrage when a woman decides to have an abortion. But those same babies that are born and then shot down oftentimes in their backs when attempting themselves to de-escalate from the antagonistic police officers um, were looking uh, who are looking to spill innocent blood. There are some situations that are not as outlined here and excessive force may be called for. The modern day policing that we've seen and watched shows an angry mob of police officers looking to spill innocent blood or to hurt people for something as little as jaywalking. Death sentences have been given by bloodthirsty police officers who were not being threatened and had no reason to fear. Many of the murdered black men and women were handcuffed at the time of their execution. There are many scripture references we can connect with as it relates uh, to murder. Um, and what I'd like to do uh, for you now is um, read a scripture. And uh, this particular scripture is Psalms 55 and 23. And I want to read this scripture uh, to uh, serve as comfort uh, to those who are disillusioned and disappointed by what it is that they see by the appearance of evil um, appearing to prevail. And um, I'm going to start with Psalms 55 and 23. It says, but you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half of their days, but I will trust you. And as believers, we can surely do that. We can trust God. And I want to encourage uh, also um, from Proverbs 22 and 16. It said, says one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. I have another scripture here. Proverbs 19 and 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Psalms 12 and 5. Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And so God is concerned about uh, what is happening. And I know that you heard me use the word poor and poor. Um, I am not talking about the socioeconomic status alone, but those are the ones who are preyed on. But poor, by the very definition of the word, is someone who is in imminent and impending danger. And that defines the uh, black men and women who are assaulted and assailed unknowingly oftentimes. And so even as I've read those scriptures, the word poor covers socioeconomic, 
and those who are in who are in impending danger. And what I'd like to do now is I'd like to share uh, my son's perspective on uh, police brutality and what it looks like and how it has impacted his life. And this uh, particular uh, writing and spoken word piece uh, was born out of the uh, Mike Brown murder. And so uh, the title uh, for this piece is Genocide. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and play this. And once this has completed, this will end this episode of Yup, It's in there. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God. Funny how hand positions change over time and saying those lines becomes less of a pledge of allegiance, more of proof to the officers that you are actually a citizen when they arrive on scene August 28, 1955. Money, Mississippi. A little boy with a cannon for a heart is ejected from the barrel of a bridge. Bullets made confetti out of his face. They even tied an elephant-shaped cotton gin to his torso to sink him to the bottom. He had an entire circus act in the bottom of the river, but no one clapped when he emerged dead. I guess death wasn't a part of the act. Emmett Till was not a victim. He was a magician. Changed the course of an entire civil rights movement. And all he had to do was snap his neck February 4th, 1999. Amadou Diallo put his money where his gun was, shot down his front porch for holding a pistol-shaped wallet they thought he had a weapon. He quite literally didn't have a shot that gave him 41 on his front porch. He only caught 19 bullets. He was 22. Two times two is four. He was shot down by four officers who fired a little over 40 shots on the 4th of February at 12.44 a.m. the 4th Amendment states. No illegal searches, no seizures. He was not a victim. He was one seizure away from setting procedure. November 25th, 2006, they rang Sean's bell, the kind of bell that rings, the kind of ring you wear to a wedding, the kind of wedding he was on his way to. He's got a gun that fired 50 shots into the car, killing Sean and wounding the other two passengers. One of the officers even stopped to reload the way an artist stops in the middle of painting to admire his work. He fired 31 pastels into the car. Sean Bell was not a victim. He was a canvas. And all he had to do to earn his spot on history's wall forever was be shot to death October 3rd, 2009. Victor Steen, a 17-year-old black boy riding a rocket ship down an empty street, was ordered to turn in his wings and pull over to the side of the road. Officer, you don't understand. See, that man in the moon? Yeah, that's my dad. And he may never come back. If I don't make it to him tonight, he was just trying to reach for the stars. The taser tied an astro knot in his throat, the officer even drove over his body before removing the taser metal from his torso. There is no metaphor for that. It just hurts. The last thing he felt was the weight of the car's wheels on his chest. No wonder he was out of breath. He was just tired August 5th, 2014. Near Ohio, a toy soldier by the name of John Crawford was relieved from duty in the action figure section of Walmart. He walked around the way many PTSD patients do when relieved from battle, gripping his weapon, tightening his grip on reality. He awakened orders from this commanding officer of a mother on the phone that day. Sir, can I help you hold 
your position, sir. Did you stop waving your weapon like that? Hold your position, sir. I'm calling the police. Hold your position. Put down the weapon. Hold your bang. Whoever says you have the right to bear arms is lying. He was a tiger. Let loose on the jungle full of poachers that day. A mother lost her son. A father lost his junior. Where fraction loses better half or multiplied for record your multiple shell cases at the scene. None of which belongs to the BB gun John Crawford was not a victim. He was a war hero with a gold star on his straight jacket. September 10th, 2014, Saratoga Springs, Utah. Police received a call of suspicious behavior and almost immediately went on a Darien hunt of young black male and a 93% white community wielding a samurai sword is believed that once a samurai sword is drawn, it must taste blood even if it is from the owner's body. They say he loves that thing, which means that he is the fastest assassin who ever lived because all six shots from police were in his back. The media keeps calling this an altercation. I don't understand what a stunning execution like that. I've never heard slaughter pronounced that way. September 18, 2014, a Houdini by the name of Charles Smith was found in Savannah, Georgia. They locked him in a cage, shaped like a police car. He took this as a test of his magician's skill. It's not his fault. See, as black men, he didn't have an unearthly desire to escape. He was still learning new tricks. See, what he did to do was reappear outside the car, uncuffed. Instead, he accidentally made a gun appear in his possession. Good thing. The police are used to magic tricks. There was nothing for them to make his life disappear. January 24, 2004, Brooklyn, New York. Timothy Stansbury, January 1st, 2009, Oakland, California. Oscar Grant, January 29th, 2010, Portland, Oregon. Eric Campbell, March 7th, 2012, New Orleans, Louisiana. Wendell Allen, March 13th, 2014, Lord Oklahoma. Daniel Martin, August 9th, 2014. Ferguson, Missouri, Michael Brown, August 12th, 2014, Los Angeles, California, Ezel Ford, October 8th, 2014, St. Louis, Missouri, Monderic Myers, Raphael Thomas, Tamir Rice, Tanisha Anderson, Laura Rosser. I apologize if I have trouble pledging allegiance to a flag that has been determined to do us part and leave our black bodies dangling at the altar. It's liberty and justice for all.